Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to week number six uh, of our series, Renew. Now, this morning, let's return to our two uh, verses that we're using as our catalyst verses for the series, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So if you were here last weekend or you listened to our podcast, then you know This past week, I traveled to uh, Florida to visit my mom. It's the first time in nearly 30 years that I've actually had a chance to have an extended substantial visit uh, with my mom. I think we've got a picture of of me with my 79-year-old mom. And um, I can tell you that as I went for this trip, um, there were really two primary objectives that I had. Uh, The first one was that I wanted to really be just present with her. Not just physically, but emotionally. I prayed that God would help my heart attune to hers. That I'd be able to listen incarnationally really well to what it was going on in her life. The second objective that I had was that I went there uh, with the intention of just wanting to serve her. And And my prayer was, Lord, give me some opportunities to demonstrate your love to her. And God gave me those opportunities. It was really special. And so I've told somebody that I I didn't go with high expectations. In fact, I went with very low expectations. And the trip exceeded my expectations. And that's the value of making sure you adjust your expectations. It was a wonderful time. Uh, It was a time where God is doing something new in my family, something that I'm even still scratching my head over and saying, Lord, what is it you're up to? in my biological family of origin, which has been a wilderness experience. It's been a wasteland. And yet God is restoring, God is doing something new in our family. And so I want to thank you all for your prayers, because throughout the week I felt your prayers, and I felt this body uh, praying with me and for me as I was there. I'm very thankful. So last weekend, we talked about, in this series, Renew, we talked about that there are two reactions that we can have when God is doing something new. One is we can resist it. The other is that we can be responsive to it. It really represents two hearts that are talked about all through Scripture. Ezekiel calls them a heart of stone and a tender heart. And these hearts are both a resistant heart, and it's a responsive heart, and we both have those hearts within us. Both of us are giving, all of us are given an opportunity to respond, but at times we also are given the free will to resist what God is doing. And last week we illustrated those hearts by looking at the final meal Jesus spent and shared with the disciples just hours before his arrest. And at that particular dinner, Jesus steps up, goes to the door, finds the servant's basin and towel. He comes and he washes the feet of his disciples. Now, foot washing was not new for them. 
They had experienced foot washing time and time and time again. But what was brand new was they had never seen someone in authority, someone of prominence, somebody who was significant that actually took time to wash the feet of other people. This was new. This was different. This was peculiar. This was unusual. It was a brand new thing for them. And as you can imagine, there were a number of different reactions to Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But here was the point I made last weekend. Jesus was not really interested in their feet. He was interested in their heart. What Jesus wanted to get to was the content of their heart, not the condition of their feet. So the washing of feet was not about personal hygiene. It was about personal pride. Washing the feet not only cleansed them, their feet, but it also made them honest. All of a sudden, what was in them begins to surface and come out of them. And it was a revelation. It was a revelation of what was inside of their hearts. Was there going to be a resistance or was there going to be a responsiveness to this incredible act of love? And as we notice the story, like the Pharaoh of Egypt, Judas's heart becomes stone cold hard. He resists. Peter, though reluctant at first, finally acquiesces. He finally responds to Jesus washing his feet. And then Jesus, in the middle of that experience, comes back to the table. And here's what he says, John Chapter 13, verse 15, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus here is not referring to washing their feet. What Jesus is saying is this, I have been where you are. I have, I have been tempted to resist God's will. I have been tempted to push back on what God was asking me to do, what my father was asking of me. But I have chosen to be responsive. I have chosen to go along and follow the Lord, my Father. And this example I have set for you of responsiveness, I'm asking you now to follow in my footsteps, to do what I have done. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then Jesus takes this new thing and he frames it with a new command. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Central to this new command was a new metric. And the new metric was Jesus' love that he had demonstrated. That was the metric. So what Jesus here is saying is every other metric of love you've always used, everything else that has been your barometer, I'm giving to you something new. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Don't you perceive it? 
This is a new command, but it comes with an illustration, with an example, with a metric. As I have initiated it, now I'm asking you to imitate it. And here's the reality. We do not learn love by reading novels. We don't learn love by watching daytime television. That's not how we learn love. We learn love by seeing it modeled. And more importantly, we learn love by experiencing it for our own selves. So I went easy on the questions with my mom this week. And I had a lot. But I learned some things about my family of origin that I never knew. And one of the questions I asked my mom this week was, I said, Mom, how did you know that your mom and dad loved you? Now, I never got a firm answer to that question, but I think the answer to that question is really critical. Because I think how we've learned to love, it teaches us how we love others. It also tells us why we struggle, where our deficiencies often come from in loving well. And so Jesus gives us this model of how to love. And one of the final things Jesus says that is recorded in the Bible is actually found all the way in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, as it opens, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is visiting seven churches that were positioned strategically throughout Asia Minor. And the very first church that Jesus visits is the church in Ephesus. Now, as he visits these churches, here's what Jesus does. Jesus goes in and he says, I'm here to evaluate how you're doing. And I'm going to leave you with a scorecard, a grade card. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate or talk about the things that I'm commending, the good things, but I'm also going to point out any deficiencies, any things that I'm concerned about. And there's one point of contention Jesus has with the church at Ephesus. We read it in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 4. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How do you hear those words? When you read and you see this, and many of you here have seen this verse before, you perhaps have heard this verse talked about. I have this against you that you have left your first love. How do you understand what Jesus is talking about here? In particular, what is the deficiency that Jesus is trying to correct in the Ephesian church? Well, for years, because of the way I was taught and a lot of the commentators that I read, I believe that this was referring to my love for God. In other words, 
The goal of my life was to make God my first love. And whenever I fell short of making God my first love, then I was falling short of God and I was failing. And truth is, I've spent a lot of my life trying to earn that love. Trying to be good enough. When I felt deficient, I just worked harder. And I suspect I'm not alone. I think a lot of us think that this verse is talking about leaving our first love as in our love for God, but I do not believe that's what this verse is saying. I don't think that Jesus' concern with the Ephesian church was their love for him. I think it was that they had left his love for them. I don't think this verse is talking about our love. I think it's referring to God's love. God's love is first love. And here's the thing about first. There can only be one. There can't be multiple firsts. There is one first and everything else is either a second or a third or a fourth, but it can't be first. What I think this verse is suggesting, and his contention with the Ephesian church was this, that they had separated themselves from God's unconditional and unlimited love for them. They had refused to believe that God still loved them regardless of their own behavior. It was a refusal to accept the fact that God loved them and that God could not not love them because it's God's character. God is love. This is what God does. But it's more than what God does. It's who God is. Here's the big idea this morning. Renewal is returning time and again to your first love. Renewal comes as we return time and again to our first love. Not our love for God, but God's love for us. Now John, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was responsible to pen the words of Revelation, also penned the words of a gospel, And he wrote three letters, three epistles. In his first letter, here's what John says, and here's how he characterizes this first love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There are several things I want you to know about this first love this morning. It's important for us when we think about renewal to remind ourselves that renewal is all separated. 
lack of renewal comes when it's separated from first love, but renewal happens when we return time and time again to first love. Several things I think are important. Number one, our hearts were divinely shaped by first love for first love. All you have to do is go back to the beginning of time and look at the story of the first man and the first woman. When God created Adam and Eve, here's what happened. God put them in a place of perfect union with him. They experienced every morning and throughout the day and in the evening, first love. But what happens? Somewhere along the way, they left their first love. Their hearts become enticed by something else, something inferior, but something they thought could satisfy them. And in the process of them choosing to disobey God, they get separated from first love. All of a sudden, their hearts grow distant. They become suspicious of God, and ultimately, they are separated from that place of perfect union with first love. See, our hearts are designed for that. That's the way God created each of our human hearts. Our hearts were designed for first love. The second thing about first love is this. First love operates independent of human love. In other words, first love is not, is, is not dependent on anyone else's love. It is not contingent upon what other people say or what other people do. Love is what God does. It is who God is. And so first love is independent of human love. Thirdly, human love is a response to first love. Notice what the scripture says. We love because he first loved us. God is the one who initiates. We are the one who responds. So the story is told after Jesus is resurrected of him restoring Peter, the apostle Peter, back to a place of of usefulness in the kingdom. In fact, God had big plans for him he didn't know about. And Jesus shows up while Peter is fishing one day. And over breakfast, he has an exchange with Peter. John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 15, says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, Jesus actually asked him that question three times. And every time, Peter responds the exact same way. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. But there is a nuance of that word love that gets lost in translation. Because Jesus uses a word in the Greek that actually is a unique word that was almost used exclusively for divine love. He uses the word agapeo. In the Greek, it's the word. And here's what he says. 
Simon Peter, do you love me, God love, divine love, more than anything? Peter responds with a different word for love. It's the word phileo, which means brotherly or familial love. It is, it is a love that characterizes loving human relationships. So Jesus says, do you love me with divine love? And Peter responds, I love you with the best human love that I can give you. And two times he asks him the same question, Peter responds. But the third time, Jesus changes the word. The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me phileo love? Do you love me with the best human love that you can, more than any other kind of love. And Peter responds, I love you that way. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus knew the answer to the question before he asked it. And what he knew is this. He knew that Peter could not respond with the same word that Jesus was using. He was incapable of loving Jesus the way Jesus had loved him. It was impossible. The best that Peter could offer him was a second love. It wasn't first love. Only God is first love. And so he said, you can give me a love, and I can accept the love that you can give me, but it will always only be a second love. Which brings us to a fourth point about first love. If you go back to 1 John chapter 4, here's what it also teaches us. First love is also perfect love. Let's go back to the previous verse, 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. There is only one perfect love and it isn't ours. The only perfect love that exists is God's love. Can you imagine if God loved us like other people loved us? What is it that makes God's love perfect? What makes it perfect is it is not contaminated by humanity. It's not affected by humanity. Perfect love isn't temperamental love. Perfect love isn't moody love. Perfect love is not conditional love. Perfect love does not say, I love you because, or I love you if, or I love you when. Perfect love says, I love you, period. And God's love is perfect love. So first love is always perfect love, which brings us to one final thing about, perfect, about first love you need to understand. All other love is imperfect love. Every other love is not a perfect love. It's an imperfect love, which means it will at times disappoint you. It will at times let you down. It will at times break your heart. It will at times leave you disappointed, maybe even disillusioned. Because listen to what I'm about to say. Human love, no matter how good it is, 
is always imperfect. No human love, regardless of how wonderful it is, can be perfect love. It is always a shadow version of first love. And so here's what happens. Whenever you attach your heart to imperfect love, it will leave you feeling hurt. It can leave you feeling rejected or betrayed. It can even leave you feeling orphaned at times. And any time that we substitute first love for second love, for shadow love, and we make that our primary source of love, we are setting ourselves up for incredible disappointment. And so first love is perfect love. And when Jesus says, you have left your first love, what he's saying is this, you have separated yourself from my love that has no conditions, that has no limits, that has no boundaries, that has no breaking point. That is my love for you. And every time you separate yourself from that, every time you refuse to believe that that's how I love you, you are leaving your first love. And so what is Jesus' recommendation to this church? It's found in the next verse, verse number 5, Revelation chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, the lampstand that's referred to in all of these seven churches is symbolic of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. And specifically, literally, in these churches. And there are three things that Jesus recommends that we do if we have left our first love. There are three things that we can do by way of response to leaving our first love. We can remember, we can repent, and we can return. First of all, we need to remember. So nearly 30 years earlier, there was a letter written to this same church. It was actually written by the Apostle Paul, nearly 30 years before Revelation, is penned by John the Apostle. And in that letter, Paul actually talks about both loves. He talks about first love and second love. He talks about first love, God's love, and he talks about second love, responsive love. But he starts with God's love. He starts with first love. In the very opening of his letter, here's the way Paul opens his letter, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Now, just listen to these words. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Don't miss this. When God looks at us, God already sees us wrapped 
into Christ. Which means he is not looking at our most recent behavior. He is looking at Christ and whom envelops us. You see, you say, how do we attach ourselves and embrace first love? We let first love embrace us. That's how we do it. He says this, this gift, this love gift is from the Father. Then he goes on to say this. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. He continues. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes, with an unstained innocence. How cool is that? For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. So that, here it is again, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. I want us to metabolize these verses this morning. This is what first love looks like. This is what first love does. And it is not contingent upon any other love. It is not even contingent upon our love back to him. God says, I do it because I choose to love you this way. I lavish it on you. It's a gift for me. I enfold you in my love. And that's where I hold you. And I keep you there. And the only one who can distance you from that is you by choosing not to believe that I love you that way. He doesn't only open his letter this way. Paul the Apostle closes his letter with the very same emphasis on God's love. Let's look in chapter 6, the end of the letter, verses 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. What's he saying? He's saying, your love for me is a responsive love. It is a second love. But it's an important response to my love for you. And what does this look like? Paul actually tells us how it functions in the first chapter, verse number 15. And 16, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people... Jews and Gentiles alike, rich and poor alike, those who are inside the church, those who are outside, you're choosing to love them. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's what, here's what John writes that Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember God's love for you, which is first love, which cannot be changed or altered because this is how God does it. This is his love. And it is not temperamental. And it doesn't get cranky. And it doesn't change based on our own conduct. He chooses to love us. 
because it's an act of his grace. Remember. And then secondly, Jesus says, repent. Now, that's a misunderstood word for many people, especially in the church. When people start talking about repentance in the church, church people get nervous. Like, where's this going to go? Okay? Okay? So, don't think of repentance as fire and brimstone. And don't think of repentance as feeling sorry for what you've done. And don't think of repentance as just asking for forgiveness. When Jesus talks about repentance, he's literally saying, change your course. In other words, it is a directional word. It means if you are traveling this direction, I want you to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So if you are distancing yourself from first love, I want you to turn around and I want you to come back home to first love. Not second love, first love. Remember the height you have fallen. Repent. Change direction. Go 180 degrees in the opposite way. And then finally he says it, return. Return. Now, there's a feature that I have on my navigational apps that most of you have. You may even have it in your car in your navigational system. And it's an incredible feature. It's a feature that just simply says home. And whenever I'm traveling, it doesn't matter where I am, I can pull up my GPS and I can hit the button or just type in the word home and it automatically tells me the way to go from where I am to get back to the place that I call home. You and I have been hardwired with home in our navigational system. God put it inside. He hardwired it into every one of us that home is true north. And what God is saying is this, I want you to hit the home button and I want you to return home to first love. Now, if you want an illustration for this, all you've got to do is to go to the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. A man has two sons. The younger son decides that he wants a share of the inheritance from his father so that he can go live his life his way. And he does. He squanders everything of his father's estate on promiscuous living. He's getting drunk. He's having sex whenever he wants. He's doing anything that he thinks will bring him pleasure. And at the end of the day, at the end of his journey, he finds himself kneeling down at the side of a feeding trough for pigs. And he remembers. He remembers the height from which he had fallen. He repents. He actually says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to hit the home button. I'm going to change my direction. I'm going to move from where I am, and my home button will get me back to first love. And he returns. And while he's on his way home, the Bible says he's still a long way off. First love sees him coming. His father sees him coming. His father runs to where he is. And before his son can even really get in a full statement, his father reminds him of who he is. 
He reminds him that he is still his beloved son. No matter how he smells, no matter how he looks, it doesn't make a difference about where he had been in his life. He is still his beloved son. Nothing about his decisions changed his identity. Which brings us to a very important point. First love always has the final word. Not second love. First love. And the father actually throws a party, a celebration, to remind his son of who he is. His identity. That story, perhaps more than any other, illustrates first love. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I want you to remember the height from which you have fallen. I want you to repent, change direction, and I want you now to return home. Hit the home button. Come back to first love. Stop depending on second love to give you what only first love can give you. Because if you choose to to dislodge yourself from first love and you choose to look to second love to give you what only first love can give you, you're going to find yourself deeply disappointed in this life. Here's what I want to close with. A number of years ago, I read a quote by the late author Brennan Manning. It powerfully captures the essence of first love. I'm going to ask you as I prepare to read this to place yourself right now in a position where you are present with God. You may want to close your eyes. You you might want to just open your hands before you as a way of saying, God, I want to receive first love. I want to return to first love. Maybe your heart has been attached for a long time to second love to a shadow version of first love, to something that will never satisfy. Let's take a moment of silence before the Lord. And then I want to read this quote to us. Let's quiet our hearts before God. Doris, will you be prepared in just a moment to close our service in prayer? Here's what Brenny Manning wrote. I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question and only one. Did you believe that I love you? That I desire you? That I waited for you day after day. 
that I long to hear the sound of your voice. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be. Let me read that final statement one last time. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be. Taurus, will you come? And will you close us? Thank you, brother. Father, in the name of Jesus, I stand before you on behalf of all of these, your people in this place. We're grateful for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We're so grateful for your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Wherever we don't believe that you love us, I pray that you would fix that now. In Jesus' mighty name, please, God. No matter what we've done, what we've said, where we've been, Father, you have given us forgiveness in Jesus. We receive that. I ask, Lord God, that you would continue. Continue to show us your love. But, Father, I ask that you would open our eyes to see. Help us, Lord God. Give us the eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. And please, Lord God, if our hearts are hardened, please soften them before it's too late. Again, Father, I pray we want you. There's so much we don't understand and so much we don't know. But we trust this word from you today. Again, in Jesus' name, we pray and we thank you receiving your love. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.